Morning. So it's dark, it's foggy, I'm soaked to the skin. I can barely feel my fingers which are inside my soaking wet gloves. I can see no more than five metres in front of me. My head torch, it just rebounds off the fog. It doesn't pierce the dark. I've already climbed the equivalent of halfway up Everest. I still have a couple of hours of climbing ahead of me. And then I can sit down and rest. But the worst part is I know that when I stop, my body will feel so battered that it won't be able to rest properly. The muscles in my legs will be twitching. My stomach will be so churned up that it won't be able to digest the food that my body needs to repair. Rest is desperately needed. But it will be at least 24 hours before my body lets me get proper rest. So I'm, I'm Paul, if you don't know me. Married to Alice, who's leading us this morning in worship. And two young children who've, who've gone out. And I like to run. Or... Yeah, do silly things, as my wife would say. So why have I told you that little story? This morning, we're going to look at Hebrews 3, all of chapter 3, and then from verse, and to chapter 4 to up to verse 13. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at Jesus' sovereignty over Moses, the consequences of disbelief, and rest. But that's rest that our God can give you. Rest that is complete and rest that fulfills all our needs. So firstly, let's have a look at Jesus' sovereignty over Moses. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 3, we'll first read through verses 1 to 6. So this is titled, Jesus is greater than Moses. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So the first six verses here is a wake-up call. It's a, it's a bit of a nudge from the writer to the church in Hebrews. It's kind of like a Oi, you lot, come on. You are my holy brothers and sisters. Now you need to get your priorities right. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus, not on Moses. So why are we looking at this today? Today, most Christians, we'd acknowledge that Jesus is far greater than Moses. Or any of the prophets. But if we go back to the beginning of looking at our time in Hebrews... This letter was written before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. This is a new church. This church hadn't had generations to analyse the scriptures 
And they might, may have found it hard to realise the significance of Jesus. So if we look back into our own recent history, in April 94, so that's a year after the internet was born, would we have realised quite the significance the internet would have on our lives today? Everything we do has some link back into the internet. So that's kind of a little comparison there, that that's something we've learned over time, and the early church were learning, as time went on, the significance of Jesus and who he was. So in verses 3 to 6, the importance of Jesus is highlighted to the early church again. He does this in two ways. Firstly, he highlights that Moses was faithful. Moses was faithful to God. And then he goes on to say, however, Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. The comparison is being made to Jesus as a builder of the house. And when we're talking about the house, we're talking about the church, okay? We're not talking about a physical building, we're talking about us, a gathering of people, a church. And Jesus was the builder of that church. And so more glory should go to the builder of the church. Without the builder, there would be no house. And without the house, there would be no, nowhere for us to occupy. So the writer sticks with the house analogy again and testifies how faithful Moses was as a servant in the house. So Moses was a servant in the church. But then it goes on to say, Jesus, he's not a servant in this house. He is the son of the builder. So he has authority in the house. He's got authority over the servants. So therefore, it's more important for the early church to follow the master, Jesus, than to follow Moses. So if we delve into this a little bit further, Israel was saved from Egypt by Moses. But Moses, he was a mere man. He couldn't do this on his own. And Moses was just following God's commands. So we, as believers, we're saved from eternal death through Jesus, God's own son. He came to earth as a man and died a human death on the cross. He defeated death and he rose again. But, and this is the big but, he was no mere man. He was the son of God. So verse 6 says, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Again, the writer is making the point that Jesus is sovereign over the church. What an affirmation that is. We're being told that as his church, we are his house. That makes reference to the fact that the church is God's plan. He's the great builder and he is the great designer. Our church here in Fordingbridge this morning, this is God's great idea and he wants us to be present here. So the second part of the passage we'll look at is from verses 7 to 19, so to the end of chapter 3. This is titled, A Warning Against Unbelief. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all that those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? See, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Cool, that makes noise. Uh, the consequences of disbelief are highlighted in verses 7 to 11. So the writer is using the example of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness, Numbers 13 to 14. And this is as a warning to the church in Hebrews. So let's go back a bit and remember that the promised land had been promised to the Israelites way back in Genesis. And the promise was given to Abraham. Abraham was obedient to God. He left his old life before behind and followed the Lord. This promise is repeated again and again through Genesis to Isaac, Jacob and Joseph. And then when we looked at Exodus a few months ago, remember that it began with God's promise that the Israelites would be freed and go to the promised land. Again and again this promise is repeated. Again and again God acts in remarkable and miraculous ways to show his power and intention to keep his promise. The Israelites had seen God's awesome power at work. They'd walked through a sea with walls of water either side. Now this isn't the tide out of the beach. This is skyscraper height walls of water, a sea split in two. And as the asked Israelite crosses, the Egyptians try to follow, bam, the walls of water fall down and God protects his people. Further on we then read, God reveals himself to Moses and to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. He shows his power and reveals himself to the Israelites. The Israelites are there experiencing firsthand God's mighty power. They are scared, they tremble, they're fearful. Everything has happened as God had told Moses and Moses told the Israelites it would. Another confirmation that God keeps his promises. Yet despite all of these clear signs and experiencing God's power firsthand and feeling the ground tremble, they hearing the sound of the horn when God's presence arrived, the Israelites, they still turned away and they had a lack of faith in God. This lack of faith that had consequences, this lack of faith that angered God. He had shown them time and time again that he was faithful. They'd experienced his power, they'd witnessed it and yet still they had a lack of faith. 
The consequences of that was that for 40 years they remained in the wilderness. They were the restless and wandering generation. Those who had shown that lack of faith had been told they disobeyed God and they would not be entering the promised land. So we can also fail to grasp the best that God has for us. So do we have a lack of faith? Do we believe that God can do the miraculous? Nothing, I mean nothing, is too great for God. But we need to put complete faith in him. We, we have no power. Everything that we have, from the air that we breathe, the clothes that we wear and the house that we live in, is God-given. And yet, we still fail to give him total control of our lives. Surely this is madness. We just need to live by faith, not by our own feelings or instincts. So verses 12 to 14, they offer us a way to prevent falling into disbelief. So firstly, we're a family. We're God's family. We need to look out for each other. If someone is struggling, draw alongside them. Help them. Talk to them. Talk to each other. Encourage each other. And by bonding together, we'll stand firm. And we'll, be, we'll stand firm in our faith and we'll be a wall against sin. The Israelites have been told that they would have the promised land if they stuck firm, trusted God in his plan. They didn't. They didn't trust in the plan. Despite all they'd seen, on all that they'd been through. As a result, that generation, they weren't able to enter the promised land. So we who are believers, we've been promised eternal life with our Father. Now, if you're not a believer, this is a promise which is open to you as well. It's not an exclusive club for the select few. It's for everyone. And if you think you don't deserve it, then I want to tell you, you do. Jesus came for the broken. And that is every one of us here. So the following generation, after those 40 years, they entered the promised land and they were able to enter God's rest. As God's believers, we can be tempted to lose faith in the face of persecution. Or as those who don't know Jesus, we can tend to say, my life's hard. Things go wrong, I'm a bad person, I've done so many wrong things in my life. Well, Jesus died for all of us. And when the things get tough, that's when we need Jesus. Don't reject him. I just want to highlight as well, the, the Israelites, they were not sent back to Egypt when they did wrong. Just as God doesn't revoke the salvation of the Christian believers, they made it into the promised land. They were not punished because their forefathers had rejected God. And so we are not punished because we have only come to church later in life. Or our parents never went to church and we were never grown up in a Christian family. Or, you know, we've done this, this, this and this wrong. We're not punished for that. No, God welcomes us all equally. It doesn't matter when you come to God, you are welcomed with open arms. And what your past is, you are welcome there. The door is open for you. You can be accepted at any time. And you can have your place secured with the eternal rest that having a relationship with Jesus brings. 
Okay, so now let's look at God's rest. So I'm just going to read through chapter 4 up to verse 13. And now this is entitled, The Sabbath Rest for the People of God. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So I think we've covered the Israelites' disobedience and the consequences that that it had for them. So I'd like to look at rest in more detail. So what is rest and what is godly rest? But before I do that, I just want to look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And this could be a confusing passage because it says at one point, none of you have fallen short of it. And I just want to make it clear that God doesn't have a minimum standard to enter his rest. There's no bar like you'd have at a theme park to check that you're tall enough to go on the roller coaster. You don't have to be a certain height or a certain type of good to get into heaven. The only criteria is that you acknowledge your sins and ask for forgiveness. There is only one way that you fall short, and that is by not believing and not asking for forgiveness. So what is God's rest? And what is rest? So the Bible mentions rest 548 times, apparently, depending on the translation. Uh, So rest is a God-given instruction and an important part of our life. So Matthew 11, 28 to 30 says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So here we learn about Jesus' character and how much of a loving father he is to all of us. He wants us to come to him, to rest with him, and to pass our burdens onto him. He offers us rest for our bodies and our soul. This is a complete, all-encompassing rest. So I did some research on rest, and uh, Alice will tell you, I don't, I don't like resting. I don't, I don't do resting. Um, uh, but apparently I should, because it's uh, a God-given order. Uh, so apparently there are seven types of rest, and we're going to have a quick look at each of them. There's physical rest, creative rest, social rest, sensory rest, mental rest, emotional rest, and spiritual rest. So let's have a look at these and see how they impact us. Physical rest. So in Mark 4, 35 to 41, we read that Jesus was sleeping when a storm came up. So even when other people, they were frantically wanting his help, Jesus was willing to take a nap. And like he knew that his body needed physical rest. And he never apologised for taking that rest. So physical rest, looking at Jesus' example, this is, the re- this is the act of resting, this is the act of sitting down, taking the weight off your feet, sleeping. It is good and it is essential to have physical rest. So when we sleep, I'm just gonna chuckle at this one, what happens? Our body repairs itself, we get better. When we're ill, we stay in bed and we rest. So, as I alluded to, I like running. And, yeah, I know that rest is important. Alice might tell you differently. So when you're training, you don't train 100% all the time. Only for 10% of the time that you're training would you push to that 100% limit. The rest of the time you're just working at 60 to 70% of what you can. And then... You have rest days. And these rest days are very important because these are when your body repairs itself. This is when they make the most of your training and it all comes good. Your muscles get stronger. So we are made in God's image. We're his children. God rested on the seventh day. So verses 9 to 10 stated, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So the Sabbath was set aside as a day off for God's people. Others may have to work, but God's people were told to rest. And this is following the example that God set. He worked and then he rested on the seventh day. So during the times of the early church, physical work was far more prevalent than it is today. There was no mechanical machinery or robots doing all the heavy work. Everyone worked physically hard, and therefore the physical body needed rest. And God knew the importance of this rest. And he set aside the Sabbath for the the people's bodies to rest and to worship, and where physical work would not be done. So we need to remember, God's our creator, and he knows what our bodies need. So that's physical rest. Creative rest. Um, I have to admit, 
this is probably one that I struggle with. I don't regard myself as creative. I can't sing. I'm not musical. As I've alluded to before, I can't clap in time. Um, I don't paint. I don't write. Um, I just run, you know. Uh, so having done a bit of research, those of you who have creative giftings, um, this is some rest that you may require. So how often do we hear like songwriters and authors and they, they say that they've just dried up, they have nothing to bring out, they have a mental block. Now if this is you and this is the case for you, from the research I've done, have a break. <laughs> do something else. Go to that place where, you're, where you get your inspiration. Don't put pressure on yourself to perform. And when you're physically well rested, your brain and your creativity can flow more freely. Just remember, God created for six days. He was created for six days and then he rested. Okay, it's quite short on creative rest, sorry. Social rest. Again, once again, we can learn from Jesus' example here. In the Gospels, there are numerous times when Jesus would get into a boat and go to the other side of the lake to be away from the crowds. He would climb mountains, he'd seek out places of solitude to give himself a break and enable him to recharge and pray and spend time with the disciples or God with no one else around. Mark 6, 31 is a great example of God instructing the disciples to do this. And it says, Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So the signs that you may require social rest, are you feeling deflated, are you feeling alone, are you isolating yourself, do you become agitated when around groups of people? So I'm going to generalise a little bit here, but as a rule, we're either introverts or extroverts. And as such, we require and thrive in different environments. Introverts tend to rest when they're on their own. If you're an introvert and you've had a busy day, you've been around a large group of people or in a meeting all day, you may need to come and home and have some time to yourself. Introverts can find being around lots of people physically and mentally draining. Extroverts can be the opposite. It may be that as an extrovert, you've had a busy day with large groups of people and busy meetings, but to recharge, you'll go out and meet up with friends. This could be how you recharge your batteries. So the key here is to knowing yourself and knowing your character. Find like-minded people. It wouldn't be a surprise to you that I'm an introvert. I like my own company and I'm happy being on my own. On a normal Sunday, I'm at the back in the corner. Um, I rest when I run and I run in nature across the trails. And I can often run for 10 miles and not see a single person and for me, this is, this is a great time to enjoy God's creation. I can pray, I can listen to what God has to say to me. And Alice will often tell you, I'll come back from the run and I'll say, I've been thinking about this and we'll, um, you know, something which has been troubling us and we'll have a solution. Well, I'll have a solution and then we'll discuss it um, to, to whatever that is. Um, but at the same time, I enjoy running with others. Um, I've got a couple of good friends who I run with. And when I'm out there running with these, these other like-minded people, they're some of the best runs and times that I have. 
So if you like board games, find a board game group. If you like dancing, find a dancing group. Singing, a singing group. Rest with those who enjoy the same things as you. And you'll be resting and socialising at the same time. So emotional rest. Again, we can look to Jesus' example on how to deal with emotional rest. In Matthew 14, verse 13, Jesus learns that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. He takes himself away to grieve. In Luke 22, 39 to 44, we read of Jesus going to the Mount of Olives and spending the night in prayer. He was in great emotional distress as he knew what was about to happen to him. So signs that we might need emotional rest could be that, again, you're feeling anxious, you've excessive worry, you're feeling inadequate, you're beating yourself up all the time. So causes of emotional tiredness, they can be beyond our control. It could be family situations, an ongoing disagreement, children going into new environments, sudden illness, bad news, friends in need. The list can be endless. So when you're feeling emotionally drained, where are you looking for your support? So I'm going to put a caveat in here. I, I need to say, I'm not a fan of social media in any form. I'm old school. Um, I live in an analogue world. And this is my view that social media is damaging. And if you're in need of emotional rest or mental rest, I don't believe that scrolling through looking at other people's staged perfect worlds and pictures will do you any good whatsoever. So take a break from that scrolling. Instead of scrolling with your finger up and down that screen, use that finger to flick through the pages of a book, a real book, a Bible, you know, just read a real book. If you step away from, if you're still scrolling through a book on your phone, you're only one scroll away from going back to that social media. Yeah, and as on the side, those of us with parents, we need to be aware that we're role models to our children as well. So if they see us scrolling, they're going to do exactly the same when they get phones and bits and pieces. And I'm talking to myself here as, as well as to everybody else. So, let's have a look around yourselves now. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, they're here next to you. Your family, they know you the best. They love you. And they want to take care of you. Talk to them. Reach out to them for help. A burden shared is a burden halved. Our Heavenly Father also needed emotional rest and recovery. We can turn to him and talk to him about our emotions. He's experienced them. He has walked in our shoes. And the Holy Spirit is also within us to help us when we ask. Okay, so mental rest. This can be similar to emotional rest, although I would say that this is a real desire to get away from it all and just to have a break. We all get to the stage when we need a holiday. Now that doesn't mean necessarily physically going away, it means taking a break from our normal daily activities. I'd say I'm at the stage now. So next Friday, I finish work for two and a bit weeks. My body and my mind knows it's time to have a break. 
So at the moment I go to work and every day is hard. Elephant in the room, bricks fall on my head. Um, and it's hard to get motivated. My concentration's not as good as it was six months ago when I returned after the Christmas break. And there's the danger then that I don't do my job to the best of my ability. So having a break is a godly thing. Again, we look at Jesus' example. He was preaching in the synagogue, he was healing the sick, he was casting out demons, and he was followed around by hundreds of people and preaching to crowds. Jesus' cup was empty. He needed to recharge and reset his mind for another day. So he got away from it all. It says in Mark 1.35, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So if we're mentally drained, take a break from what's causing it. I know that whilst preparing this preach, I can't do it in one go. I get drained, my mind starts to wander, and I start writing gibberish. I need to take a break. I'll go for a run, I'll play with the children, take the dogs out, or just do something which is totally different, that's not gonna tax me in the same way. So sensory rest. So our senses are God-given, and they need to be rested and looked after as well. In today's world, they can be overloaded. Again, phones, social media, but then on the physical side, if you've heard it said, I went to the market and it was a sensory overload. The sights, the smells, the sounds, the hustle and the bustle, it was overwhelming. If our senses are just completely overwhelmed, how can we really listen to what God has to say for us? How can we rest fully when our senses are on high alert? So there's a common theme running throughout this. And it's, get away from it all. Take a walk in the countryside, let your senses relax and enjoy the peace and quiet. The smell of the freshly cut grass. I'm biased, I love the countryside. And that's what works for me, so that's why that's what I put it in here. But you, you'll each individually know what works for you. Find that place and get out there and, and have a break. So in Matthew 4, we learn about Jesus in the desert. He'd been baptised, just been baptised. He'd been followed around by hundreds of people and he'd been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He went away into the desert for 40 days and that was before being tempted. This was a complete rest from everything that had gone before and a complete break for all of his senses. And this sets Jesus up for the work that was to come. Okay, finally, and most importantly, spiritual rest. So this is the biggest and the most important rest that we can have. Firstly and foremost, complete spiritual rest comes from our faith and our salvation. We need to put our trust in God, confess our sins, ask God to be our saviour, and this is something that is available to all of us at any time. It doesn't matter where you are, how busy you are, how tired you are, God is there for you and he will be faithful. He wants you to put your faith in him. He wants you to give you complete rest and he wants to welcome you into his rest. So when we know Jesus as our saviour, we have less anxiety. 
We still have it, but we have less. We know our future is secure with him in Devon. In heaven, Devon? In heaven. <laughs> See, I'm on holiday mode already. Uh, uh, death, death has no hold over us. Like, we may have anxiety about we, how we die. Even Jesus had anxiety about that. When he was praying before he was seized in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Anxiety about horrible things and how we die is normal after all, we're human. What we can rest assured about is that death is just the beginning, that's not the end. So for complete spiritual rest, we also need to be good listeners. It's a skill to listen as much as it is to talk. When we have those questions, ask them, look for answers. But also be prepared to rest, be still, and listen to what God has to say to us. How often do we look for something, tear the house upside down, get frustrated, give up? Next day, when we're calm, we're not panicked. We look again, and there the item is, right in front of us. Again. Alice will tell you this is man-looking. So, how do we keep on top of spiritual rest and stay in a good place? So, four short points, and I promise you the they're relatively short. So look at yourself in a metaphorical mirror. Are there things that you need to confess? Keep a short account with God. When you have sinned and need repentance, do it quickly. Don't delay. So we know the feeling we have when we have to break some horrible news or admit our wrongdoing. The feeling of the weight of the world on our shoulders. How much lighter do we feel once we've apologised or broken that news? It's the same with our Lord. We know when we have to ask forgiveness. So to keep a light heart, keep asking for forgiveness. Secondly, trust God with everything. Especially the things that you care most about. Trust God with your children, your partners, your family and your friends. We can't change anything by worrying. We worry about how our child's first day at school is. Or how are the half's important meeting goes, or if the house sale goes through. But worry just drains us mentally, physically, and spiritually. Worry is the thief of joy. It weighs us down, and it's absolutely futile. It serves no other purpose than bringing us down. Pass everything to God. Let him take the burden so that you can live with a light heart. Thirdly, an important part for spiritual rest is to forgive others as we have been forgiven. How tiring it is to be angry. Remember when you've had an argument with someone? You know you need to make up, but you can't bring yourself to do it. You're stubborn. Alice is looking at me. Uh, every time you see that person, you can feel the air change, the air becomes heavy, and your spirit drops. It's not easy to forgive, and it can take time. But it's the most freeing thing that you can do for yourself and the other person. So remember that feeling that you had when you were saved? How light you felt? How you were walking on there? That was because you had asked for forgiveness and it was given to you. And you have the power to do that for others and for yourself. Truly forgive those who have wronged you. Let them know if that is appropriate and you'll feel lighter. It's our choice to forgive, or it's our choice to hold on to grudges. No one will make us forgive. 
So ask God to help you forgive. Ask for a forgiving heart. Fourthly, pass everything to God. When you feel tired, when you feel burdened, when you feel heavy of heart and down in your spirit, pass it to God. When you're in a good place, thank God. Keep a check of where you are, but keep talking to God. Jesus didn't die on the cross for one moment in your life. He died on the cross for the whole of your life. The ups and the downs. He wants to be present in all of it. So going back to that story at the beginning, I finished that race. Just under 14 hours of the hardest running, climbing, walking that I'd ever done. I'm going back this year to get under 13 hours. Yeah. Why, I hear you ask? Well, for me, pushing myself that hard, I have to rely on God's strength. I go to places that I wouldn't experience in a normal day, and the Lord teaches me so much during those times. The belief that I can do things I didn't think possible. I wouldn't be standing here preaching if I hadn't had those experiences on those runs. So I do those, not under my own strength, but under God's. And I was right. I didn't rest. My body didn't rest, didn't eat properly for the next 24 hours. But my mind was in a great place. So, in summary, if we want God's rest, we need to choose to trust in God's provision. We make the choice to believe to surrender everything to him and to trust him. Sorry, can't see. Uh, We can choose to carry life's burdens on our own or we can choose to share them and pass them to Christ. Each time we do this with life's stresses and worries, we relieve the burden of worry, frustration and comparison. Making the choice to live in God's rest is the difference between thriving and just surviving. So is there anything stopping you from entering God's rest? Do you have unconfessed sin? Confess it to the Lord. He isn't there to judge, he's just there to forgive. Do you worry because you're not trusting God? Trust him. He won't let you down. Pass your worries on to him and feel the burden lifted off your shoulders. Do you have someone that you need to forgive? Or do you need to forgive yourself? God knows your heart. Ask him to help you to forgive. He will be faithful and he will forgive, give you a forgiving heart. He wants you to be the best that you can be. And that isn't by holding on to grudges against others or yourself. Or have you not let go of your life and let God in yet? My plea would be that you let him in. It'll be the biggest change for good that you can make in your life. Let him into every aspect of your life and don't hold anything back. So I've asked Alice to put Matthew 11, 28 to 30 from the message to music, um, which she's going to come up and do in a second. Um, I think it's a great passage for us to end on. As we listen and then worship together, I want us to be reflecting on what the Lord has spoken to us about today. If you need prayer, find an elder, a trusted friend, 
and get the prayer that you need. We can all be tired and we can all be weary, but let's encourage one another. Let's create a culture of encouragement. Let's keep pressing on towards God, walking in faith and being the church that God has designed us to be. Remember, as his church, we are his perfect design and we are all here where he wants us to be.